Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 29th of December, 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 to 14, and brings us a message entitled, Christmas, According to Christ. I'm reading this evening from the letter to the Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at the first verse. This is the word of the Lord. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, But a body you have prepared for me. In bird offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered For all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And we thank God for his holy word. It's very natural, of course, isn't it, at this time of the year to celebrate the birth of Christ and tell the story. The story that includes Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth, of course, of John the Baptist. The story that includes the shepherds and the wise men and the angels and Simeon, and the innkeeper, and of course the story of Mary and Joseph. But the actual Christmas story extends beyond that one night in Bethlehem and changes things for all eternity. You may have wondered why I read this evening from Hebrews chapter 10. Well, I believe this gives to us an insight into the Christmas story, which maybe 
we fail to grasp or fully understand. We hear the story from the wise men's perspective, from the shepherds on the hillside, from the experience of Mary and Joseph and the angel's message in the innkeeper. But here in Hebrews chapter 10, I think we have the story from Christ's perspective. If I were to summarize Hebrews 10, I would say here is Christmas according to Christ. The Lord Jesus here gives us an insight into his perception of the incarnation. The writer is telling us about the effect of the Lord Jesus entering into our world. And notice three statements that are made, and we read this evening, a body you have prepared for me. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. And thirdly, behold, I have come to do your will. I believe here is an inspired insight into the incarnation from our Lord's perspective. Jesus speaks of himself. And when he came into the world, he records these words in verse 5, a body you have prepared for me. When we think of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, we're thinking tonight of a real person. In all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, God viewed them as a shadow of the reality to which they pointed forward to. Sacrifices of dumb animals pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which was the sacrifice of a consenting will. I'm very interested, you know, in pulpit texts and what churches have on the outside, which is identified at times as the wayside pulpit. And one of the churches that I pass by has a very appealing and always very relevant and attractive posters. And at this time of the year, there was a poster, it was like a wreath. And the top half was a holly wreath, and the bottom half was thorns and thistles. And in the top half was the season, and in the bottom of the poster said, the reason. And I thought that was very inspiring and very instructive. The season and the reason. I think we need to take time before incarnation celebrations are put into the closet. It was the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, it's a tragedy that we only speak of the incarnation once a year. I think we need to view the incarnation through the atonement. The writer here reminds us that the shadow of the law is making way for the substance of Christ himself. He tells us that the law could never make perfect those who offered these sacrifices. If it could, then there would be no need to repeat them. And here, of course, we recognize the problem. If the sacrifice put in place could not address the problem, what could? How is anyone going to be saved and accepted by God before Jesus Christ came? How could they obtain a clean conscience? How, they, how could they experience a transformed life? 
by simply believing the promise of God. God made a promise. God promised he would save those who would believe his promise. And in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to something. This evening, we are looking backward to something. You and I have never seen Christ on the cross. We have never experienced ceremonial cleansing. So here is one who came in the form of man, who took a body prepared for him. Do you remember how Peter puts it in one of his letters? He says, speaking of the Lord Jesus, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. The old hymn puts like this, he took my sins and my sorrows and he made them his very own and he bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and he died alone. And in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God in Christ has reached out to us. God has prepared a body and he welcomes us into his arms. And we need to look to Jesus. And we need to listen to Jesus. But what prevents many tonight from looking to Jesus? What prevents many tonight from listening to Jesus? Well, I think one word can sum up the answer to that question. And that word is the word pride. There are many tonight who feel that they are good enough in themselves. They are marked, and could I say marred, by self-righteousness. They are too clever. They are too self-sufficient. And they feel that they are all right the way they are. And somehow or other they court this idea that they can accumulate enough righteousness to make them acceptable to God. But the way in, of course, is low. The way in is for those who are humble in spirit. We were created by God, for God. Man's chief end was to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But sin has prevented that. And sin has marred our lives. And many are blinded by the God of this world to realize the enormity of their sin. And the seriousness of their sin. And so the writer in Hebrews chapter 10 points us in the direction of the Lord Jesus. And it reminds us that in Jesus Christ, God has prepared a body for himself. Jesus Christ is not the figment of man's imagination. He was a real person. John Blanchard has a a very interesting and informative book entitled, Would the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? But you know, secondly tonight, not only in the incarnation has God provided a body to bear our sins in his body of the tree, a real person. Through the Lord Jesus, we learn of an eternal plan. For the writer says this, it is written in the scroll of the book. What's he, what's he talking about here? It is written in the scroll of the book. Well, of course, this is a reference to the Old Testament. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come from nowhere. He didn't just appear. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. I love the definition that uh, the late Alec Moutier has concerning the Lord Jesus. He says that in the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he is revealed. 
in the Acts he has preached, in the epistles he has explained, and in the revelation he has anticipated. This book is all about Jesus, from Genesis to Revelation. And well could we employ the words of the old hymn and make it our prayer for the coming days and the coming year. More about Jesus would I know and more of his grace to others show. The writer is referring to the Old Testament. The Old Testament that points us in the direction of the Lord Jesus. And we need to look for him. And we need to keep our eyes on him. You remember... The record in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus in the temple in Nazareth on the Sabbath. It was his custom to be there. You can imagine the scene. There was a buzz, an atmosphere of excitement and expectation. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to the Lord Jesus. He unrolled it and he found the place. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And receiving of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke tells us this. Luke makes this observation. He rolled up the scroll. And he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And all the eyes that were in the synagogue that day, were fixed on him. And they began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is all about me. I am the fulfillment of the prophet's word in Isaiah. I have not come to declare a solution. I am the solution. Again, we come to John's gospel, John chapter 5. And Jesus is speaking to those who were acquainted with the Old Testament. And in verse 39, he says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You see, the whole story of human history was preparing for the amazing coming of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was the forerunner to all this. And in the opening a chapter of John's Gospel, Philip is speaking to Nathaniel. And here's what Philip says in verses 45 in John chapter 1. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel is taken back. And he looks at Philip and he says, Philip, you're winding me up. No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. You're winding me up. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God? And then he responds with a very natural reaction. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip responds and he says, come and see. And John tells us that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to Jesus, How do you know me? We've never been introduced. And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. Rabbi, you're the King 
of Israel. Do you remember that night recorded in John 3? The amazing conversation that took place between Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus. And in the course of the conversation, Jesus turns to Nicodemus and he says, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Have you not read the scrolls? If you have, you would have known that I am the one of whom they speak. Again in John's Gospel, we read these words, If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe me? Do you remember the two that walked the road to a mess? That wonderful experience. Someone said to me, if you ever had to go to Israel again, or if you ever had to live in the days of the Lord in Israel, where would you like to be? Some would say, I would like to have been on the mountain slopes to hear the Sermon on the Mount. I'd have liked to have seen his miracles that day when he brought Lazarus from the dead. Wow. You ask me, I would love to have walked this road to a mess. To have listened to the greatest Bible teacher that ever lived. To have listened to the greatest preacher that ever preached. Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. And Jesus said to him, These are my words that I speak to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And so it continues. We move from the Gospels into the Acts of the Apostles, and Philip is speaking to a man from Ethiopia. He is the eunuch. He's reading the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. He's in his chariot. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he responds, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And he says to Philip, who is the prophet speaking about himself or someone else? And Luke tells us, then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. And he told him the good news. By Jesus. We're here tonight because we have heard the good news about Jesus. When Jesus entered our world, he did so as a real person. A body have you prepared for me. When Jesus entered our world, he revealed an eternal plan. When Jesus entered our world, he established a divine purpose. He said, I have come to do your will, O God. When a baby is born, many people will say, I wonder what he'll be like when he grows up. We have three grandchildren. One is called six, three young ones. But they all cost money. And the older they get, the costlier to become. That's good news for John and Laura this evening. And we have three of the younger age. One is called, I've got to get them right now, one is called Kitty. And the young one is called Jack. And the middle one is called Josiah. But there's a couple here tonight 
and they rang us with great joy one evening and they said our daughter has got a little baby son and we're calling it Josiah and I texted him and I said very graciously there's only one Josiah but thankfully I've had little Josiah in my arms probably wouldn't be as good looking as our Josiah but having a grandfather like Freddie McLaughlin that's understandable but you know sometimes pastors are in a dilemma they go into a house and mommy's there and daddy's there and they're full of glee with the baby and mommy's mommy's there and daddy's mommy's there and they say to the pastor who do you think she's like and he says, now, if I say he's like his father, mommy's mommy will not be pleased, because I know her. And if I say he's like his mommy, daddy's mommy will not be pleased, what do you do? Here's what you do. You just say, he's very like himself, isn't he? And that's the way out of it. But you know, sometimes we ask ourselves as we hold little ones in our arms, don't we? What will it be when it grows up? What career will they follow? And you know something that this baby could have spoken that day? It would have said to such conversation, hold on, I'll tell you why I've come into the world. I'll tell you where I'm going. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He's only a young boy. We don't read much about the boyhood life of Jesus, but he's in the temple precincts. Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his earthly father, were anxious about him. And they must, their body language obviously conveyed their anxiety. And the Lord Jesus turned to him, Do you not know? Has no one told you that I must be about my father's business? And I'm sure as a boy, as he witnessed his earthly father in the carpenter's shop, They'll be hammering nails into a piece of wood. They'll be making a cross for some home. That boy would have said, one day, I'll be on a cross. One day they will put nails into my hand. One day they will put a crown of thorns in my head. One day they will pierce my side. One day they will shout at me, away with him, crucify him. One day they will mock me. One day they will spit at me. One day they will take their fists and they will smite me. That's all part of the Father's business. The angel said to Joseph, You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And where the first Adam failed, through disobedience the second Adam succeeded because of obedience he has come a body was prepared for him a real person the scroll was opened about him an eternal plan and he has come to do the will of him who sent him even though it meant death on the cross. This letter to the Hebrews is a wonderful letter. It's all about Jesus. 
It's a mirror of the Bible because the Bible is all about Jesus. The Jesus who is greater than angels and archangels. Greater than the tabernacle and the temple. The Jesus whose covenant, whose sacrifice, whose priesthood can be defined as a better one. And the message of this letter to the Hebrews spells out the message of the Bible that Jesus Christ is supreme. There is no one who has ever been like him, nor will there be ever one, anyone like him. That Jesus is sufficient, that he's all that we need for time and for eternity. And that the one who is supreme and the one who has sufficient is the one who satisfies. John is on the Isle of Patmos. And the Lord reveals himself to him as the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord who is and who was and who is to come. You know that Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is simply this, I am the alphabet out of which God frames every word, every sentence, every paragraph and every chapter of his salvation story. And we respond tonight and we say with gladness in our hearts, a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. Can you say, a wonderful Savior to me. May the Lord write his word on all our hearts for his name's sake. We're going to 